Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Hi there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast. I am so incredibly excited to have Nicole Allison on the podcast today. Um, And if you haven't heard of Nicole Allison, I'll just give a quick intro. She is a speech-language pathologist who currently works with preschool through high school students, um, and she has presented at local, state, and national conventions on topics related to speech and language pathology, and her presentations are always a big hit, so I cannot wait for her to dive into all things phonological awareness today. Um, But she creates amazing resources that are incredibly engaging and helps us save time, which we definitely need with our busy workload. And she's also the author of the blog, Speech Peeps, and she shares tons of practical activities and ideas um, for us to use there. Um, So without further ado, I am excited to welcome Nicole Allison. And I, so before we dive into all of the practical things related to phonological awareness, um, I'm curious if you'd like to tell us a little bit about your story and um, also kind of leading into what led you to learn more about phonological awareness. Sure. So thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be on this podcast. I've been listening more and more to podcasts. So it's just such an honor to, um, be here myself. Um, and I just thank you so much for having me. Um, so I actually in college, it's interesting, I was a math major. So I was on the opposite side of the brain. And I just really liked, I've always really liked numbers and um, just how things fit together with math. But then I started taking some courses and realized, no, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I attended a seminar on speech-language pathology um, while I was in college, and I actually had had speech therapy when I was younger for an R um, when I was in fifth grade. So um, I was one of those later kids, but it's always um, just kind of piqued my interest, and I went to a seminar, and I just absolutely fell in love with this profession. Um, So I switched over to the other side of the brain, I feel like, language And I've never really looked back. (laughs) But in regard to phonological awareness, um, for years, I've kind of been coming up with ideas on how to integrate working on multiple skills at the same time. Um, And I've always been drawn to the sort of like whole child approach to learning. Um, So instead of like drawing a line around certain skills, um, like for example, only working on articulation or only working on increasing vocabulary, only working on phonological awareness, really looking at the whole picture and how we can integrate these sort of areas together. Um, So I know I'm fully aware not all of the skills work this way, but I think especially for goals like articulation, it's just very easy to incorporate them into other skill areas. Um, And I was thinking about it because this is really what our kids are expected to do outside our therapy rooms. Um, Like no one is simply asking them to say words with their sound in isolation or their sound in sentences, but instead they're learning, they're needing to learn these skills while reading out loud in class or while talking to a friend on the monkey bars. Um, So I've always been drawn to sort of working on articulation while working on other skills um, because of this sort of whole child mentality that I've had. Um, So then with that background, it kind of led me to start digging into the link between articulation and phonological awareness skills. And when I talk about phonological awareness skills, I'm talking about like those pre-reading skills that are so important for literacy. Um, Things like repeating words and sentences, rhyming, adding sounds, deleting sounds, manipulating sounds, all these skills that are so really the foundation um, a child needs before they even read their first word. Um, So interestingly enough, these are also the same skills that many of our children with articulation 
and phonology disorders have difficulty with, um, which I found really interesting. Um, so when we talk about those phonological awareness and articulation, I don't think that many of us are super surprised um, that there's a strong link between the two. But what's interesting, though, is that studies are now determining that directly working on phonological awareness is also shown to concurrently increase speech intelligibility and improve articulation sounds. So there was a study done, <clears throat> and they just worked on, they took some kids that had both phonological awareness deficits and articulation deficits, and they simply worked on phonological awareness skills. Um, and then at the end, they re-examined, and they found that even without working directly on those articulation skills, those kids had improved with their both their phonological awareness skills and their articulation skills. Um, so this is just really pretty exciting for us, I feel like. Um, and it really makes sense. Um, I have an example that I think really highlights this benefit. Um, so I say, suppose I told you to tell me about your day, but, but while speaking, to substitute every R sound with a W sound. Do you think you could do that, Marisha? That would be very tricky. <laughs> it would be really hard. Um, and I think even for like a grown SLP, it would be extremely difficult because we're so used to the way that we talk. Um, and this is what we ask our kids to do all the time. But suppose I handed you a typed paragraph now and told you to read it, substituting every R sound for a W sound. <clears throat> So it'd be tricky still, but I feel like it's much more doable with the visual because now we can see the sounds on the page. We can see how they form the words. Um, and this is why once kids begin working on reading and sounds and letters, I typically see like a huge increase with their speech intelligibility and articulation skills because now they have that visual and they can literally see that S in the word stop instead of trying to produce sounds and speech with any frame of reference. Um, so really what the phonological awareness skills do when, when we're working on those phonological awareness skills, they provide those concrete visuals and that frame of reference for our students with speech sound difficulties. So it, it really, really works well together, I think. Oh my goodness, that makes so much sense. I've never thought of it in that way, but I've seen this happen so many times with so many students. And I love that example that you gave because I'm definitely going to put this in my pocket for parent meetings um, when I'm, because I'm, I've used this approach as well. Um, but I love asking the, the questions that you ask, like how hard would it be to just to replace sounds as you're speaking compared to when you're reading. And you're so right. Having that visual and that reference makes it that much easier. That really helps break it down. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. I've used that same. I think it does click with parents and um, in meetings where, you know, especially with preschoolers, if before they're reading, um, if we can incorporate some of those sounds and the letters I tell them that is going to help their speech so much because I give that example and it just kind of clicks like, oh yeah, that would be a visual then. I love it. Thank you. Um, and then I, I think I also wanted to emphasize too that study that you mentioned, and I, it sounds like there's several studies. It's not just one study that has documented the impact of mm -hmm. targeting phonological awareness on articulation. Um, but I, we were talking about this before we went live, um, but I was working with a second grader a couple years ago who was really struggling with articulation and reading skills. Um, and I had taken a couple courses on phonological awareness um, and I knew enough to kind of look into assessing it. And then I, I gave him an assessment and I realized that, oh man, he's missing a lot of these skills. Um, and I started looking into the research more and I came across one of the articles that you were talking about that showed that just targeting, because I wanted to have some evidence behind what I was doing since it was still fairly new. Um, but it's amazing. Like, I feel like, I don't know, I always get really excited when I find things like that in the literature because 
you're so right about that whole child approach. It's um, because we, and we have so limited time in therapy. And a lot of times our students are struggling in a lot of areas. It's not just that R or those few sounds. There's, it's impacting other areas. And the same is true with language. So it's always so incredibly exciting when we can find ways to kind of work smarter as SLPs and target multiple skills at a time. Um, so I'm excited to dive into how we could do this. Um, so do you have any tips when it comes to identifying students who might benefit from this approach? Yeah. So for me, um, personally, I found that kindergarten is typically the best starting age for this approach. Um, so the skills themselves are pre-reading skills. The students aren't required to read anything, but they do need to have sort of a basic understanding of sounds. Um, and this, this approach also works best kind of if the student is able to say at least the sound at the word level. Um, so I'll give a few examples of sort of what this looks like. Um, so say we have a student working on L sounds. I'd say the simplest level to do is oral repetition. Um, that's just me saying a sentence, containing their sound, and them repeating it back. Um, and I do like to write it down um, because even if they can't read, again, that visual um, is just really beneficial for them. So I would write out just a simple sentence like, my leg hurts or the lamp is on. And I'd have them point to their L sound and say the sentence and they just repeat it back. And it's just getting them familiar with where their sound falls in that sentence and how it kind of relates to the words and um, the different, you know, the, how it just all structures together. So I just have them point to their L sound in that sentence um, and they just repeat it back to me because it just gets them used to how um, the sounds work together to form words and then the words are in sentences and just kind of all works together. Um, so that's basically where I start. Um, and then I would move on to the phonemes. Actually, first, sorry, I'm going to move on to the syllables. So um, syllables are easier to kind of hear for kids. You have the clapping, you know, I remember doing that in school and they still kind of do that in school. Um, but what, what I would do is I'd give them a word and I would segment the word first, like ladder, and they would just have to put it together and say ladder. Um, or July, and they would just kind of have to be hearing those sounds to put that word together and form that word. Um, you can even, once they do that, it's easier than for me to say a blended word and for them then to segment it. So if I said reptile, then it's easier for them to go reptile and just kind of segment those sounds and it gets them used to breaking down those syllables um, within the word. Um, after that, the hierarchy is sort of like phonemes and just breaking down the sounds. Um, so usually what I want them to do is identify a sound position for me in a word. Um, so I might say, repeat the word that I say, and then tell me the sound that you hear at the beginning of the word. Um, luck. What sound do you hear at the beginning of that word? Bull. Or what sound do you hear at the beginning of dollar? It doesn't always have to be the L um, sound at the beginning, but it's, you know, it's in the word and they're just figuring out where is the sound that I'm hearing at the beginning of the sound, the word. Um, <clears throat> and then we go on to just blending sounds to form words. So this is sort of like the syllables, but now it's broken down even more. So I could give them the word lad and just go lad, and they would have to form that together to, to form lad. So they're getting used to just hearing those sounds and how they form that word. Um, if I said girl, and then they'd just say girl, um, and then we'd switch. So then, <clears throat> and I was like doing this teacher kind of thing. And I say, now you're the teacher and you tell me um, a word blended together and I will segment it. So we just kind of go back and forth and um, the kids just really enjoy this. Um, after blending sounds, once they blend, once they can blend in segments, then we can start manipulating those sounds and that gets more challenging. But it's, this is where I feel like it's so beneficial 
um, this kind of therapy. So we can start changing the words and I can have them add sounds and delete sounds and then just actually change the sound. So I could say something like, say the word line and now say it without mm, lie or say the word um, life and now change the ul to a wa and it'd be wife or say the word load now change the d to a f sound and be loaf so you can change all these sounds um and again they're not reading anything so this is just them auditory you know like just listening to these sounds and um changing them and then then we can also do some rhyming um, and things like that. I think a lot of people associate, they know rhyming goes with phonological awareness. So, you know, you can just simply, usually where I start is having them recognize if rhymes, if words rhyme, um, and then going on to, like, if I give them three words and then they are selecting the two words that rhyme, um, and then finally generating rhymes themselves. So that's kind of the, the hierarchy that I use. Um, it's not there's it's not research based or anything, um, but it just kind of starts with that again that oral repetition and then um, syllables and then phonemes and rhyming. Um, so <clears throat> that's just kind of that's just what I um, do, and I have I found it really beneficial to especially like I said those adding sounds or deleting sounds or even changing the sounds and words. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I do here and how I target. Yeah, that's super helpful. And I love getting to hear kind of the different strategies that different SLPs use. And you gave so many great examples. Um, and I'm curious in terms of like when you're working through this with a student, would you, do you focus on do you work through the hierarchy and like one session or however many sessions the student needs, you would start work, you would just work on the repetition or are you working on multiple skills at the same time? Yeah, that's a great question. Usually I just try to focus on one skill at a time and then the next session we'll go through and I just kind of mark where we were in the hierarchy and, um, move on to the next one if they were doing well, or maybe they might need some more practice on just the oral repetition. So um, what gets tricky, I think, and it's good to challenge the kids is at that phoneme level to then incorporate sometimes maybe, especially if they're advanced and they can do this kind of thing, to do adding phonemes and deleting phonemes. So that would really get their brain working. Um, and, you know, they really have to think about the word. Um, so I usually, to answer your question, I usually just target one specific skill at a time. Um, but another reason that I love this approach, it's just, I feel like it, it makes sense in that we're not just feeding them the words. They're actually having to like really think about them, think about where their sound is in the word. Um, and it gives their it gives their brain a little bit of an an extra challenge for them instead of just saying the word, repeating back the word, or anything like that. They have to think about it. Yeah, I love that. And especially when you get to the sound manipulation, like even as an adult, <laughs> I have to like some of the tasks. I really have to yes. think about it. Maybe that says something about my working memory <laughs> or lack thereof. <laughs> Um, but it gets challenging and it's a good, like, I think, especially if we're providing them with the supports, I think students like a little bit of a challenge mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially if we can explain the why behind it and tell them, cause this is amazing. Cause there's so many whys behind it. It will help them make progress on their speech goals, but it also helps with their reading, um, and that's, if they're seeing us, it's probably something that they struggle with. So um, I think if we can explain the why behind that, there will be a lot of that motivation too. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, cool. And then in terms of how you actually implement this, because I've gotten to see some of your resources um, and it looks like you, you're not just picking random words, right? Are you 
Like, how do you put this together in terms of how you select the words? Sure. Yeah. So I have a resource that has all these sounds broken up, but this is something that you can easily do um, with any sound. So I just make sure that the sound is in the word. Um, it doesn't always have to be, it shouldn't always be in the initial position, actually. Um, and just repeating the word, they're going to be saying that sound. So I always have them repeat the word. Um, like, for example, if we go back to um, say life, now change the old to a wa, they're going to be saying that life and then they're going to be saying wife, which doesn't have the target sound in it. But they're always going to at least be saying the target, a word with a target sound in it at least one time. Um, but, you know, even words at the end, like if I said, um, say, eight, now put an ul in front of it, late. So, <clears throat> you know, you can do it in all different ways. Or, um, you know, you could say one that had the end. I can't think of one now that has it at the end of the word. Um, but it can be, you know, it can work however you want as long as they're still practicing that sound. They're just changing the sounds within the word, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing is that like if an SLP is comfortable with this, like these activities and they're like, I've got this, you can use any of that word list that you already have and just kind of pick the activity that meets the student's level. Um, right. And it doesn't involve a lot of prep. Like this is something that would be easy to start implementing just in your regular articulation practice. Right. Yeah. And going along with that, I, so I use this intervention both with my, I, with students that are on IEPs and just receiving like intervention or RTI. And I've actually really been loving using the system um, with my five minute articulation students. So I do five minute articulation out in the hallway. Um, and this is just for kids that aren't on IEPs. They're just receiving intervention. But what it is, is, um, you know, I see them two to three times per week just for five minutes and we just simply drill. So there's no games, no even like wasting time walking all the way back to my room and then walking back to the classroom. I pull them right outside their classroom. We're in the hallway and I take my list of words and we just kind of drill these um these sounds and these target words in there. And I can usually get up to about 100 productions um, doing this approach with kids that way. Um, but then they're not missing a lot of class time either. And so it's really easy to explain to parents why I use that approach. Um, you know, you're, they're getting the, the research-based approach that's going to be beneficial to them, but then they're also not missing a lot of class time doing unnecessary tasks. Um, so <clears throat> that's how I do mine. Um, I wish I, I could figure out a way to do the five minute articulation with my, I, with my kids that have IEPs a little bit better, but you need to write those minutes very specific. Um, and I haven't figured out a good approach. So I usually have them back in my class and I do that phonological awareness still with them. Um, but it's not during the five minute. Um, so, you know, depending on your district, um, you could, and then, well, I'm thinking of how you write goals too. Um, so I usually write the goals like I do my other goals. Um, but so a few examples would be like given words containing their target sound, a student would repeat or add or delete, manipulate or rhyme sounds. You could do any of those or a combination of them, sounds or syllables. Um, with 80% accuracy in three consecutive sessions or whatever accuracy, um, you know, you would feel would be beneficial to them. And depending on your district, you could write out those separately, like I said, um, to just target one area or together or however you want. Um, but I think the important thing is providing a few examples to parents and really making sure parents and administrators um, understand what phonological awareness is. Um, because I think there's a lot of confusion around phonological awareness. Um, you know, there's phonological awareness, there's phonemic awareness. And so just explaining what you're actually doing um, 
and how it relates to articulation and how this is going to improve their intelligibility and their speech sounds. Um, so bring the research to the meeting. Um, I have a blog post that has that, that article that I um, talked about and start talking about how this could really work with their child to you know, increase their articulation skills and also their pre-reading skills. Um, I just feel like this, this is an area that could be really helpful to um, speech therapists in the schools. Yeah, that's so helpful. And we'll definitely share a link to the blog post. Um, so we typically put together show notes um, that includes, like, I'll include some of the or actually, we'll just send them to your blog post for the citations and all of that. And then I'll also share the other resources and links that have been mentioned. Um, so that'll be at slpnow.com slash 29. Um, and I so love that you gave us an example of an actual goal. I know that's something that SLPs really look for and they it's a question that they're always asking. So um, yeah, I, I so appreciate that. That was okay. helpful to see how you actually implement that. Um, so then I, I love when people write out goals for me too. It's <laughs> like, oh, that's I could write it that way. Yes. The more ideas, the better. Yeah. And the cool thing is that once you have a foundation to start, then we obviously want to make sure that it, it, it makes sense for our students. But just having that example, I feel like gives us a jump start in figuring that out. So that's super helpful. Um, okay. And then in terms of, so how, cause you, do you do this with all of your students or do you like when you're deciding which level to start with, um, whether you're like saying the word in sentences or, um, dividing into syllables or, um, whatever it may be, like, do you start with an assessment to figure out that level or where do you, how do you decide which level you're starting with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So an, an assessment would be really helpful just to know, is the student not um, able to say the sound at all? This probably wouldn't be a good starting point for that student. Probably you're just going to be working on saying that sound and saying that sound in syllables um, only. But then once they can start saying it in the words, um, but they're just not saying it consistently, that's when this approach really comes into play because, um, you know, you think about it, they are able to say the, the word with the sound in it. They are just not carrying it over into their conversation. Um, and that's exactly what this approach does because it kind of mixes, <laughs> it sounds awful, but it, it's kind of, I feel like I view it almost like, um, you know, those exercise programs that want to confuse your muscles so that they get stronger. Um, I kind of feel like that's where this goes, where it's not, obviously we don't want to confuse our students, but it's, it's making them do more and think about where their sound is in the word and how it fits into the word in a conversation and in the bigger picture in sentences and in paragraphs and things like that. Um, so it's making them think outside of that just simple word level and sentence level, if that makes sense. So <clears throat> you definitely want them to be able to say that sound in a word first, but then this helps with that carryover. Um, and it, it really yeah. helps speed things up too. I've seen personally with my caseload, um, it helps them generate that carryover faster, in my opinion. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, and then in terms of, because I guess it would be pretty easy to figure out, you could just get a list of words and then have the student like go through the hierarchy of activities and see where the student, like what they're already successful at. Like if we're trying to decide when we're writing that goal, like do we want to write a goal for the sound manipulation level or is that going to be too much of a stretch like maybe we want to work on just blending sounds with mm -hmm. those words um, and we can kind of work through it so, that yeah. way. I have had a few um, kindergartners that I've started out with this and they're really good at the oral repeating and, you know, blending sounds together, but then it just gets a little bit too difficult for them to start manipulating those sounds. Um, so you definitely want to make sure where you're starting out something that they can do. Um, 
as a starting point, you know, to make them successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, And then just from, I'm curious from your experience, like if you're, and I know this would vary depending on a lot of different factors, including what grade the student is in. um, But like with your kindergartners, um, because they're at the very beginning of these pre-reading skills. So would you say that you typically work towards um, maybe like, would, with those students, do you typically write goals more based on like the going up to the syllable level? And then maybe with the older grades, you would go up to manipulating sounds. Like, do you have any rules of thumb that you found in your practice? You know, I think it really does depend on where the student is at. Cause um, like I said, there are kindergartners that they just were not ready for that. But then I've had other kindergartners that surprisingly were able to manipulate sounds um, and they were able to do those tasks. They, um, they just really got that. <clears throat> so, you know, I don't know if it's grade specific, but I know a lot of people have asked me pre- about preschool, doing this method with preschool. And yeah. I'm just not sure that they're ready yet for um, this, this kind of approach. You could do some of the things, you know, you could do the repeating of the sentence or even just having blending the syllables probably like ladder and having them put that word together and saying ladder but that level is they're you know they're pretty young to be doing a lot of those tasks so but otherwise I don't know if it's a specific grade or age it's more on their ability and what they're capable of doing I think yeah that helps and I think maybe with our preschoolers or like if we're in the middle of an IEP period for some of our students and we're not able to change that goal, um, I think this is something that we can use. Like we're still working on that articulation goal so we can write our traditional goals and just embed some of this and see how it works. Um, It's definitely, well, it shouldn't hurt the student um, and Um, So yeah, like maybe with our preschoolers, if we're working on um, articulation, we can just do some syllable clapping, just embedding it as we go along. Um, And then even if we're not able to write that formal goal, we can just kind of play around with some of these skills. And um, if it helps, then that's amazing. That's an added bonus there. You know, and I would even say um, to to do that almost like I have wrote goals for specifically for the phonological awareness, but I feel like even if you have a goal that just, you know, very generic that, you know, a lot of times we write a student will given a word, a student will say their target sound at the word level in for 80% accuracy in three consecutive trials or however you might write that goal, but you are still working on that goal. Like you said, by, doing the phonological awareness tasks, you're, you know, you're targeting that word at the word level, um, just by, just by embedding some of these quick, um, you know, phonological awareness interventions in your regular session. So it it really does work. Um, and that would be an easy way, even if your goals aren't written that way, it's just, it's just another approach I feel like. Um, so it doesn't have to be, and we don't have to really write approach approaches in our IEPs. Um, we just have to be targeting those goals. So definitely. We just get to find all the tools to add to the tool belt to help our students. And um, yeah, so just to help our students make more progress. Um, and then speaking of progress, do you have any tips when it comes to progress monitoring? Like, do you do any, like, do you, how do you set that up when you're um, tracking progress for that type of goal. Um, like when given their target sound, student will manipulate sounds and words by like adding, deleting sounds with 80% accuracy. Um, do you just like do that activity in therapy and take data on it? Or do you have any special tricks when it comes to that? I think that's where probably the, the difference in writing the goals comes in were to write, mm-hmm. um, student will manipulate the sounds, then that's what you're really looking for. Um, you're looking for them to be able to manipulate the sounds with their target sound in there 
but not necessarily you might. So you, you will be, um, you know, stating the correct, stating, stating that they got it correct if they are able to manip manipulate the sounds, but not necessarily if they're saying their target sound correctly, if that makes sense. But if you write the goal um, focusing on their target sound, then that's where you're going to be. That's where your focus is going to be. And that's where, um, you know, you're going to write whether they did it or not. So I think, um, you know, and either one of those could be used. I'm not sure if there's one that's better than the other. Um, and they might be different for different students. Um, but I think it's important to realize, with, you know, what are we writing our goal for and then go for that. Um, but just like the article said, they weren't necessarily working on articulation during that, but both phonological awareness skills and articulation improved, um, which is really neat, I feel like. So even if we write a goal saying student will ma manipulate um, the sounds within a target word that has their sound, um, we're working on that phonological awareness, but I feel like we're also working on that articulation, but we're you know, looking more at the, the phonological awareness aspect of it, but I think both will improve. I think that's what people will see is both, both end up improving. Yeah. And that's the best part about that goal because we can target something completely different and see generalization, which is really exciting. Um, and then I was curious too, um, in terms, like, do you have any favorite tips? And it sounds like if the student is really struggling with it, then maybe they're not ready for this type of activity yet. Um, but I'm curious if there's anything that you do to help students who seem ready, but they're just struggling a little bit. Like, do you have any favorite like visuals or strategies that you use to help students be able to um, like maybe, because I feel like manipulating sounds is the trickiest part because I love the strategies that you gave when you were explaining the activities, like with when we're working on syllables, um, you gave lots of different steps to scaffold it where we first say the two parts of the word and then help the student put it together. Um, and then you gave a lot of those examples for that. Um, but I'm curious if you have any favorites when it comes to manipulating those sounds. <clears throat> Yeah, I think the best um, the best thing that you can do when when doing this work is even though they're not reading yet, or a lot of our school or a lot of our students probably aren't at the reading level yet. Maybe some of them are. That would be great if they are. Um, but either way, even if they're a pre-reader or a reader, I think the best thing that we can do is write the word down and just provide that visual. Because, um, especially if they're struggling with that, because again, you think about it, if I said, um, you know, say the word light, now change the O to an N, night, um, it'd be so much easier if we saw the word in print, and then I could circle the L or erase the L and put an N there. Um, and that would just help them, even if they're not, what I found is even if they're not reading yet, that putting it in print just does something. It's like it does something magical and it just really helps them um, because it provides that visual again. So I think that would be an area, you know, that's a, a cue or a prompt that you could easily give them is just simply writing it down. We do a lot of that um, with just CVC words, especially in kindergarten. Um, I'll write out a list of 10 CVC words containing their sound and then we just, you know, tap on them. You know, I tap each sound and they say it. So we'll add or um, what's another one with L? I'm trying to think. Um, lip, you know, like yeah. And so just seeing those sounds in print and um, having it, it's like you you know, have all of your senses working together. So you hear the sound, you see it, and then even touching or tapping your fingers together as you make the sound. Um, it's just working all of those senses so that it comes together a little bit better, I think. Yeah, that's super helpful. Um, and I've also seen 
some SLPs like use, and I don't know which would be better, um, but I've, cause I think that giving them exposure to that print while they're doing that practice is like, that makes so much sense. And like you were saying, it gives them like even more sensory inputs cause then they can see it and touch it. And as they're saying it and all of that. So that's soup. That makes so much sense. Um, and I've also seen, um, I think this, I've seen SLPs do this and read about it in some articles too, where they just have like colored chips or blocks Mm. and they like use those to represent the different sounds. Um, But I don't know which one would be better. That would be worth Mm -hmm. (laughs) looking into. Um, But I think it also depends on the student. So we can kind of mix and match depending on Mm -hmm. what works best for them. Very true. Yeah. Um, But I love those examples and I think that's um, super helpful. And another example of that whole child approach and kind of combining all the different elements, which is super cool. Um, and then I'm curious too, what are your, like some of your favorite treatment activities? So you gave us a lot of different ideas in terms of like what we can do as we move through the hierarchy. Um, but I, like we talked about, this can be kind of challenging for students and it might not be the most fun Mm -hmm. activity in the world. So I'm curious if you have any like tips or strategies around how to keep students motivated through this, whether it's like something that you're, some activity that you're doing as you're practicing this or something that you do to set up the session Mm -hmm. or um, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be. I'm curious. Yeah. So, well, for my five minute articulation, that's why one of the reasons that I love it because it's so, um, minimalist. I feel like there's no games or anything like that. There's no setup. And you can typically keep a child's attention for five minutes, um, even without a game or any, you know, any activity like that. So that works really well for that. But it's super easy to incorporate a game. You know, you can make a game and on each turn, they have to do five to 10 um, phonological awareness activities or Um, something that I like to do is just have, I have a whiteboard in my room and it's very simple, but sometimes it's the simplest things I found that kids really like. I kind of turn it into a competition if I have a group and it's just writing out their, their sounds. So I give them a CVC word with their sound in it. Or even if we're working on digraphs, like the TH sound, um, I would just give them a simple word and then it's like a race. They have to write that out. Or <clears throat> I've done it at the, the upper level where they have to write a sentence containing as many sounds with their, you know, words with their sounds as they can. And whoever has the most words with their sounds in the sentence wins. Um, and it can't be a run on sentence. I say it has to be, you know, a regular length, a sentence that makes sense. And it's grammatically correct. Um, and honestly, I don't know. It's just really the simplest things. Um, when you turn them into games or have some fun with them, um, if you're having fun, I feel like the kids are much more likely to have fun. So if you're excited about something, um, it can be the most boring activity ever. Um, but often if I'm excited about it, then that excitement kind of wears off on my own, on my kids and my students. Um, so those are just some ideas but you can easily, you know, um, incorporate this into any game or activity because it's only, it's only a few, um, it's just like saying a word or any articulation activity. Um, it's just really easy to do. I feel like. Yeah, those are really great tips and, um, yeah, using games. And I love that whiteboard idea as well. And, like, I think the sentence idea is pretty genius because it helps them work on so many different goals because it's doing like they have to think about their articulation sounds and then there's grammar and vocabulary and all the things. So that's super smart. I it's love a simple it. Thing. <laughs> um, yeah, just little things. Um, and we don't have to have a ton of crazy materials or spend all of our lives prepping and laminating um, to have really awesome therapy sessions. So I love all of these ideas so much. So incredibly helpful. Um, And then I'm curious if you have anything else that you wanted to share about 
phonological awareness or just any tips in general that you want to share um, with the SLPs listening today? No, but I think I'm just going to reiterate. Um, no, no tips. I, I think I talked them about them all. I covered them all, but I did want to reiterate just how important that communication aspect is, um, especially when you're writing these goals or if this is something that is new to you or um, that you haven't done before. I feel like it's really important to just communicate to the parents um, that this is backed by research, that it is really effective. Um, and try to just, you know, just describe what that phonological awareness looks like and how it's going to impact and improve their child's speech. Um, because I feel like if what I've learned or what I've um, discovered is the more I communicate up front, um, the easier it is to implement something. And so if I've communicated it up front, then when parents get some practice pages, um, doing some of those phonological awareness skills with their um, that target sound in there, they're not like taken off guard or anything like that. They kind of know what's going on. Um, and, you know, I just make sure to explain it and give directions on how to do this because it's very easy to practice at home too um, and to do some of that carryover. So <clears throat> I just feel like that communication piece is key. And especially if you come into a meeting with a research article that says, or multiple research articles that say this is really effective and this is going to speed up the time um, probably that your child will likely be in speech. That's always a good thing. Yeah, that definitely Thanks. gives us some different credibility points. Um, and then that brought up another question for me too, in terms of like sending home activities. Um, like what do you typically send home and um, like what, how do you decide mm -hmm. which level yeah, so of activity to send? Yeah, so if a student's doing send? really well and I feel like they are um, able to do, to do it with another person, then I'll send home some carryover activities and it's just really um, sort of like a word, a word list that has their target sounds. You could write this out and then, you know, you could just tell give a few examples in the directions, like, um, <clears throat> have them, if they're working on blending a word together, you know, you would say the word, um, and then the student would say lip and just giving those examples, um, and sending that home, um, that really works out well too. Cause the child too can help explain it to the parents because they've been doing it in speech, but then just having those examples at the top too helps. Yeah. And that's so easy to put together too. We could even just grab like a quick note and, or take a copy of any word list and just jot down like whatever level we want them to work at. Like if we want them to um, clap out the syllables or put together words when given two of the syllables or whatever it may be. Um, right. That doesn't have to take right. a ton of work either. That's so cool. Um, and then I'm curious too, where can people find out, like if they love these ideas, which I'm sure they did, um, where can they find out more about you? Um, like where do you hang out in the internet world? And then I'd also love to hear more about the resource that you created um, and kind of what that would include. So I blog over on the speech, speech peeps. Um, anybody can contact me through email, Nicole Allison at speechpeeps.com. I'm over on Instagram as Nicole Allison SLP. Um, and then on Facebook, Allison speech peeps. So you can contact me through those. Um, I'm usually pretty fast about my email just cause I know I like to have people respond to me and pretty fast. So I will get back to you if you ever reach out to me. Um, and then Marisha had no, um, mentioned, I have a phonological awareness resource. Um, and this is something that I put together last year, just because I felt like I really needed it for my caseload, just looking at the research and how beneficial this um, type of intervention was going to be. And so I went through actually, and did all of those hierarchies that I talked about for every sound. Um, so this is something that you could 
easy, you know, you could look up and you could do all of these things and find words. But if you don't want to spend that time, um, this might be a resource that would be really beneficial to you because all that is already done. And the nice thing is, is um, because it's pre-reading and, you know, the student's not reading anything, they're not writing anything. You can even pull this up on like an iPad or your computer, or even I pulled it up on my phone um, because really I'm just going through these words and, you know, say Matt, now change the M to a K cat, you know, and they can say, all, they can do all these things. Um, and you can just pull it up right there if you don't want to print it. So that is something that I use now with all of my, any child that I'm working on with um, articulation at the, at the grade level. So kindergarten and up, um, I incorporate phonological awareness skills in, and I just feel like it's really, it's really been um, beneficial to my students. Thank you so much for sharing all of these amazing tips and tricks that I feel like I could use this in my session, like this afternoon, I could implement it right away. So I so appreciate you sharing all of this. Um, and yeah, thank you for your time. And if the listeners want to find any of the resources that I mentioned, I'll include links to Nicole's site and the blog post and her resources, all that good stuff. Um, and you can find that at slpnow.com slash 29. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. I so appreciate you, Nicole. Thanks, Marisha. I appreciate you too. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.